In war, there is no substitute for victory. In war, there is no substitute for victory. Those are the words of General Douglas MacArthur in his farewell address to Congress in 1951, several years after World War II had ended. In war, there is no substitute for victory. He was reflecting on a number of things at the time, the conflicts that the United States was at that time engaged in, as well as the two world wars which had decorated the first half of the 20th century. And he concluded, in war there is no substitute for victory. Now this is a striking comment because it contrasts with something that President Woodrow Wilson had said in 1917 before the United States entered into World War I, before we declared war on Germany. In 1917, in January of 1917, President Woodrow Wilson said that what we should strive for is peace without victory. Peace without victory. He thought that the only way for nations to get along, for there to be peace in our world, would be for a conflict like World War I to end without a victor. For it to end without anyone being the winner and without there being any loser. In fact, here's how he put it. Listen to his words. We must have a peace without victory because victory would mean peace forced upon a loser. A victor's terms imposed upon the vanquished. It would be accepted in humiliation, under duress, at an intolerable sacrifice and would leave a sting, a resentment, a bitter memory upon which terms of peace would rest, not permanently, but only as upon quicksand. Only a peace between equals can last. Only a peace, the very principle of which is equality and a common participation in the common benefit. President Woodrow Wilson thought that the only way we could have a future as a world would be if all of the nations saw each other as equals. If that's how this conflict that was brewing in Europe, if that's how it was resolved, if every nation saw every other nation as equals. Now, I think this makes some sense. If you think about it, imagine a conflict between brothers. A conflict between brothers. What you want is for brothers to live together in unity. You might have a brother who is better at one thing than his, other, than his brother. You might have a winner or a loser when it comes to various matters, but you don't want one brother to be subject or oppressor and for the other one to be humiliated. You want them to stand on equal footing, maybe with different strengths and weaknesses, maybe with different strengths and weaknesses, but not one lording it over the other. That's what President Woodrow Wilson was thinking as he described how we should think about this conflict in Europe. And so the United States joined the war, declaring war on Germany in April of 1917. And it was just a few years later that the war was ended with an armistice and the formation of the League of Nations, which had its goal as world peace, maintaining world peace. Now, I'm giving you this history. I'll get to the point in just a moment, I promise. I'm giving you this history lesson because it's very instructive for how we think about what Jesus is doing in the cross. There was a general who was the commander of the American expeditionary forces in Europe during World War I. His name was General Pershing. And a few years after World War I ended, he reflected on how the war ended. Listen to what he said. We never really let the Germans know who won the war. They are being told that their army was stabbed in the back, betrayed, that their army had not been defeated. The Germans never believed they were beaten. It will have to be done all over again. That's what General Pershing said in 1923. 
And of course, it was just less than two decades later that Germany invaded Poland and General Pershing was proven to be correct. What had gone wrong? Now, I'm speaking a little bit out of school here because I don't know that much about World War I or World War II history. I know basically what I've told you right now. That's what I know about it. But I want you to see this contrast, this contrast between an idea of peace without victory and the idea that in war there is no substitute for victory. That's what General Douglas MacArthur concluded. If there's an enemy, if there's an enemy who is truly inimical, that is to say, their goals, their aims, their hopes are set against yours, there can be no substitute for victory. If you try to make peace without victory, what you have is compromise. But there can be no compromise between good and evil. There can be compromise between brothers. Jesus talks that way. He says if your brother has something against you, if he's, taking you to, if he's taking you to court, you should try to resolve things peaceably with him because you don't want there to be a winner and a loser among brothers. Among brothers. There can be peace and we don't want victory. But when it is good versus evil, righteousness versus wickedness, when it is the war between God and the devil, there can be no compromise. There can be no peace without victory. So today, we rejoice that our king is uncompromising. That when God sent his son into the world to save us from sin and death and from hell, he was not setting about to attain some sort of peace without victory, but he had in mind one thing, and that is complete victory. A total rout of the devil. Send him to hell, for that is where he belongs, and that is how he would save us. Peace through victory. And that is why the Jews in Jerusalem, as we heard today, are waving palm branches as they welcome Jesus riding on a donkey. They have all of this in mind, in fact. It was centuries earlier that Solomon had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, on his father David's donkey when Solomon took the throne. Solomon, whose name means peace. They had seen peace ride into Jerusalem on a donkey before. And palm branches were a symbol of victory. Kind of like, I was thinking about how in our world, uh, victors are often awarded a cup, like the Stanley Cup. It's a trophy. It's a sign of your victory. That's what palm branches were in the ancient world. For a variety of reasons, they were a sign of victory. Victors in athletic competitions would get a palm branch as a sign of their victory. And so the people were waving palm branches for their victor king as he rode in Jerusalem, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. He was coming in victory and in peace. You would not wave palm branches over a compromise. You would not wave palm branches if you were unsure whether or not the enemy had been defeated or whether it would rise up again to raise its forces against you. You wouldn't wave palm branches. You wouldn't declare victory. You wouldn't feel security in the peace if any of that was unsure. And so, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they sang words that they didn't really understand, waving palm branches and hoping for peace. But the people of Israel, the Jews, were waiting for something too small, a peace that would have been too fragile, too little. They thought that maybe Jesus was coming, their Messiah was coming to rout the Romans, their enemy occupiers, the soldiers, and the governor, 
who ruled over them. They thought that maybe Jesus had come to bring them temporal peace, but he came to bring them something much better. They should have listened more carefully to what the prophet Zechariah said. You heard it just a moment ago. Here comes the king, humble and mounted on a donkey, righteous and having salvation is he. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. He'd come to bring peace to the world, not just to the people of Israel, peace to the world, peace to you and to me, peace to all who are far off, victory for his people. The people of Israel were expecting too little. Jesus had come to do something much greater, to declare total victory, complete peace. At long last, what God had promised, he had come to crush the serpent's head. Our king is uncompromising. He didn't come to cut a deal with the devil. He didn't come to bargain and negotiate. He came to wage war. And that is exactly what he did. But notice this. Notice how uncompromising he is. How set on victory he is. How much he was willing to spend for that victory. How he was willing to even have a victory if it cost him death on a cross. We heard Woodrow Wilson say that we don't want a victory that requires the enemy to be humiliated, but we saw today what this victory cost Jesus, his own humiliation. Listen again to what Paul said to the Philippians. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When kings die on a battlefield, it's usually a sign of defeat. It's usually the last stroke that means the end of the army and the nation. But Jesus has come to die for a different reason. He's come to die not as a matter of defeat, not as a matter of utter humiliation, that will remain with him forever, not in order to let the devil have his way, but he has come to suffer defeat on the cross because we wage war not against flesh and blood, not against nations and emperors, not against people with swords and spears. If that's who we are waging war against, if those were our enemies, this would be a simple matter. Then Peter would have it right as he took out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Peter would have it right. But that's not our enemy. Our enemy is the devil who wages war with the tools of sin and death. And our enemy is unfazed by violence. I think this is something that is often overlooked about the devil. People are afraid of violence, but the devil is not. In fact, it is one of his weapons. He loves it. When people take up arms, when people fight, when they are bitter and contemptuous, when they hate one another, when the world is bloody, he loves it. He delights in it. He's not come, the devil did not come into the world in order to capture land or kingdoms, in order to govern people in this life. He came to capture hearts. And so it is a different kind of war that Jesus is waging. It's a different kind of battle that needs to be fought. But the same rules apply. There can be no peace without victory. So how does Jesus do it? This victory required a ransom. A life for a life. This victory required the humility and the very death of God. God was willing to die for us. Listen again to the words of this verse from the hymn we just sang, verse 3. Wondrous love, 
what have you done? The Father offers up his Son, desiring our salvation. O love, how strong you are to save. You lay the one into the grave who built the earth's foundation. That's the victory that Jesus has come to win. Being laid into the ground, he who built the earth's foundation, he who controls the wind and the waves with the word, he who breathed life into all of us, he has come to die so that we could live, so that we could have peace. That's what this week is all about. It is, hands down, the best week of the year. And I hope you'll take stock of that. I hope you'll spend time this week reflecting on what Jesus has done for you, meditating on his passion, on his suffering and death, observing in his wounds, in the mockery, in his breathing his last, in suffering the forsakenness of God, observe in him his great love, his uncompromising love, his uncompromising desire for victory and peace for you. As much as you can, mark the days of this week. There are readings in your bulletin, readings for each day of the week. Spend time listening to what God has done for you. Prepare your hearts As we come again on Thursday and on Friday and then on Sunday, as we come again to see how our Savior loves us, to hear again the precious words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Into your hands I entrust my spirit. Surely he was the Son of God. Repent and believe. But your God has done all of this for you. Hosanna. God, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the King of Israel. To him alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Please rise as we sing our offertory.